how confident are you about your retirement? Uh, well, I can. I, can you, I don't know if you read my article from a couple months ago. Is is yeah. not not amazingly really to be honest. So maybe I should be more so. But yeah, I, can, I just find it quite difficult. And, and a, f- a few people have. have I've had a bit of a laugh with me about it. I have to say, Mr. Keeble gave, gave me grief about it. But I genuinely think it is difficult. And I think it is when you start thinking about your own position uh, and you know how many variables there are. And I do appreciate I'm in a better position than lots of people. So, so there is that underlying bit, but it still doesn't make it any easier to know by this point I will definitely have enough money to be comfortable type thing i absolutely echo those sentiments and like you i'm probably more fortunate than many but i struggle with that question of when can i afford to stop work and how much can i afford to live on in retirement you know what what does a sensible rate of income consumption look like in retirement and and when do i pull the trigger on that can you still keep doing these you know whatever it is uh do something to the house or going on a nice holiday or what you know how many of those kind of things can you do and, and there's a worry that you don't do them in the earlier years because you're worried about money and then by the time you're going actually I'm probably okay now is your ability to do some of those things might have changed so we find it difficult and then it was kind of interesting so let's talk about this nucleus retirement confidence index and i'll ask you in a moment you know what it is and so on but but uh, just start off with that headline score of 6.9 out of 10 which I think we both felt was a higher number than we might have expected. It turns out people, unlike us, a lot of people have some confidence around their retirement. So that was interesting, wasn't it? It was interesting, yeah. And it's always, you know, and and the lead up to research coming out, you know, you you can have a a bit of a chat about it, about where it might end up. And and 6.9 was certainly higher than I expected. You know, people are you know, cautiously confident. They don't seem over, you know, eight or nine would be very high and, and, and perhaps unbelievable. But, you know, 6.9 is what people are telling us. That, that seems to be cautiously confident across the board. Mm. I guess the key bit is within that because there's cohorts got a much lower than that. And that's a bit, you know, we'll probably come on and talk mm. about. But there's definitely some more concerning groups who are, who are significantly lower and that, you know, that's the bit that we maybe need to look at as, as an industry. Mm, yeah, no, we can dig into all of that. So just the housekeeping, first of all, you surveyed, what was it about? Your, well, you got YouGov to survey for you, about 2,000 people, is that right? Yes, just over, it was about 2,200 people, which is a pretty good sample size of over 50s. And a couple of key categories there, we had one group which was not taking any pension benefits, so it's so pre-retirement in old language. And that group was, was split into half of them who were taking advice and half of them who weren't taking advice. And then the second main cohort was people who have accessed pension. So, so that could just be tax-free cash, that could be taking an annuity, a DB income, whatever, and we've got all that split out in the research. So, so various different ways of accessing money. But again, that group got access money, half taking advice, half not. So that kind of gives us the four key categories of before retirement, advice, non-advice, after retirement, advice, non-advice, and then a whole range of different bits underneath that that we can go into, such as gender and and wealth and and things like that. So so we can begin to dig into quite detailed attributes of individuals and and figure out how confident or not they are. I mean, I absolutely agree with this aspect. So the 6.9 we've talked about already, a 
perhaps slightly surprisingly high overall level of confidence, and we can dig into some of the different cohorts you just talked about, but also you gave it a negative outlook. Just talk about why that was. Yeah, so, so we've said 6.9, which we've talked about working negative outlook, as in we expect that to go down in the future. So there was a few, a number of things that came through in the research. So persistent cost of living worries, which, which we can pick up on inadequate defined contribution savings and low expectations about future investment returns. All of those come through in the research and all of those lead us to believe that confidence will fall in future. I was at a Resolution Foundation pre-autumn statement sort of economic briefing last week, uh, always good value for money. And they were talking about the fact that a lot of the interest rate rises haven't properly fed through into the economy, whether we're talking about individuals or businesses. There's going to be a lot of refinancing going on over the next couple of years. And a lot of that refinancing, even if interest rates start coming down again, as you know, they appear perhaps to have peaked, we're still going to see a lot of people suffering significant increases in their outgoings. Whether it's Absolutely. I think that bit, we've just, we're still on that upward trajectory of, of lots of people coming out of fixed rate deals, and they might be coming out of fixed rate deals that were one, one and a half percent, sometimes even lower than that. And as you say, even even if rates come down, they might then be going up to maybe four, four and a half. That's still an enormous it's increase. Yeah. And and you know, a, a big, big impact on, on people's disposable income. And this is at a time when disposable income is is down on where it was a few years ago. So so tax, as we know, has effectively gone up because of all the frozen thresholds, you know, the personal allowance has been frozen, the £50,000 higher rate tax rate has been frozen. So, so if that had increased, you know, as we would have probably expected, that would probably be around 60 by now. So, mm. so, so that shows the potential impact it's having. Institute for Fiscal Studies done a lot of analysis on that, on, on how much more tax people are paying than they were. But the overall concept is, is people's disposable income is, is significantly down on where it was in 2019 anyway. If we layer mortgage, increasing mortgage costs onto that, then you know, it's a difficult time for, for lots of people. Yeah, and the energy costs as well, with the government support falling away now. On that front, and I mean, the DB decline is more of a longer term phenomenon, but the direction of travel is inexorably downwards on that front as well. And that will play through over the next. It is. And and that's one thing that came through, you know, very, very clearly in the research is people who are fortunate after defined benefit pension are, are the most confident. You know, that's probably not a surprise, but I think it's easy for us in the industry to kind of sometimes gloss over the whole DB. But, you know, the people that have got DB are saying, you know, that, that's good. I'm, I'm happy, presumably because some certainty there, because, you know, like a wage in retirement, that money bouncing into the bank account each month. They know what's happening. They know when it's happening. That gives them that level of confidence. And retirement confidence also goes up with age. So, so generally, the older people are, the more confident they are. Uh, and those two are probably linked to some degree. So, so people over mm. 65, over 70 are much more likely to have DB or at least a decent level of DB income. And if we go down to the, the least confident cohort, which was the 50 to 55-year-olds, they are less likely to have DB. They might have a little bit, some of them, and obviously public sector might have some, but 
generally that cohort will have less DB. And then if we, we didn't do the research below 50, but if we'd gone back another 10 years, then the proportion of people with DB is, is significantly lower at that point. So we have a quite a significant shift in UK pension income coming over the next 20 years or so, where we're moving from people who had the biggest portion of their income from DB and a bit of DC to where we are at at the moment is a bit of a mix, but as we go 10, 15 years out, it's predominantly DC, and that and that's a big shift in the market. For sure, yeah. And what was really striking within that, I mean, we'll come on to the advice bit in a minute, which we, we should definitely talk about. But first of all, I mean, 49% of people over the age of 50 didn't have a plan, and there was a strong correlation between people having a plan and people feeling more confident, right? Absolutely. So, so perhaps the most surprising finding of the research was that importance of having a plan. So, so having a detailed plan in place leads to significantly higher retirement confidence, whether an advisor is involved or not. But as you say, basically half of people over 50 didn't have a plan, which is quite a scary thought, really, is that, you know, once you go past 50, you kind of think of it as a boundary when people are beginning to look forward you know maybe kids are leaving home things like that people are maybe beginning to look forward towards retirement so I think it's a you know it's a very big number not to have really considered what life has to in store for them you know 10-15 years down the line so, so, so that feels a huge gap in the market and we certainly need to lead people to engage with that planning process much, much more. Massively, yeah, yeah. And all the public policy initiatives like Money Helper, Pension Wise, the Midlife MOT, you know, those all make sense in the, that context of people needing a plan and lots of people not having a plan. You know, there's a message there for, for policymakers. But I want to stick with the plan thing, but also this this surprising aspect of the research which show, appears to show that taking advice does not of itself make people more confident. In fact, in some cohorts, people who hadn't taken advice were marginally more confident than the people who had taken advice, which might not be good news for financial advisors. But but I guess also there's an element of reality check that once you've taken advice, at least you know what you don't know, and at least you know what you're dealing with. And you know you might not like some of the reality that was given to you, but but then you've got a plan and that helps. But that was all super interesting as well. It, it was really interesting, but I think there's a lots, lots of aspects to dig into that. So the headline, yes, absolutely. Advice in of itself wasn't making a difference. So, so there's a few bits, strands to pull out there was one, people who had taken advice really valued it. So that came through very clearly in the research, and that's that's a big positive. Second was the cohort you were talking about is, is people who had taken benefits, whether they'd taken advice or not, had no impact on confidence. So DB does have an element to play in there. So people who have taken benefits who are getting DB, probably, you know, there's an argument they might not need to get advice and they're probably quite comfortable and confident because that money's coming into the bank account every month. So mm-hmm. so there's, there's a portion there. I think there's perhaps also a portion is ones people who have taken money. So some of them will be rightly confident because they've done all the work, they've analysed it, and they're correctly decided that they're in a position to retire. 
And if we've lived with it for a year or two, we might again be quite comfortable. You know, this is my incomings, those are my outgoings, and I'm reasonably happy with that, and I can manage that situation. I think there might be a bit of confirmation bias going on in there as well. So people who have retired said, yeah, this was the right decision because this is a decision I've made. And that might be helped by the fact that they've got, you know, or £50,000 sitting in tax-free cash in the bank account. And that gives them some confidence because they've got that store of money there. So there's probably a risk for some people, at least that confidence might be misplaced, the ones that are in retirement. And if we go back to what our advice professionals say, so, so we can go on and talk about advice a little bit more, but the advice professionals, summary in one line was you don't know what you don't know. And so there might be an element of people who've taken benefits who say they're confident and perhaps may well be confident, but can that confidence hold up to scrutiny, I guess? Yeah, I think those are really good points. And I think there's undoubtedly a comfort factor that comes from having taken that money out of your pension where it was in a tax-exempt environment and you've probably paid some tax in the process uh, beyond the attack pension commencement lump sum and you stuck that money in the bank account and that's super comforting isn't it seeing a large sum of money in your bank account you can get out whenever you feel like it but as you say that that might be somewhat somewhat misplaced and we know people underestimate life expectancy you know that's not new but again if we were asking people are you confident you know in the 65 and they're saying i'm absolutely confident i've got this income or pot of money and I'm I'm completely confident that that's going to last me to 80. And I think that's fine, you know, because my parents died at 75. So I think 80, that's perfectly reasonable. But actually, if I went and spoke to an advisor, it would, you know, talk to them about average life expectancy. And, and you know, there's a decent chance I live to 85 at least. And, you know, what, there's maybe a one in 10 chance I live to 100. And if they found out all that kind of level of information, they might be less confident mm. than they were. So for the non-advised people, it will come as something yes. surprised to discover they're still alive in their mid-80s. I think it is. And, and I think, that, you know, p- people live by their own experience, don't they? And and when your parents died is probably, a, a, you know, quite a key factor in, for lots of people. Or, or grandparents died, you know, that, that's kind of a, you know, in some ways might be seen as an anchor. That, that seems a reasonable life expectancy because that's what I've experienced type of thing. So it's perhaps reasonable that people will go to that unless, you know, unless there's wider education around that, which is... What all of this drives us is is that people need more help to be more confident about retirement. Yeah, and I think something else that people won't necessarily appreciate unless they've spoken to an advisor is the tax planning dimension of retirement planning. Now, if, if all your money's in a DB pension and you've got no other savings, life can be pretty simple and the decision-making is perhaps more straightforward. But if you've got money scattered across DC pots and ISAs, and non-tax exempt savings and a house and there's two of you and you've paid different rates of tax through your lives then the sequencing of income withdrawal and how you manage those retirement assets can make quite a significant difference to your overall prosperity and that's the kind of thing an advisor will absolutely help you with but as an individual without that technical expertise you just just wouldn't understand you wouldn't know what you don't know as you've said uh, absolutely and, and, and going back to that financial advice, so, so the kind of after retirement bit w- was different and there was no great benefit in confidence levels. And we'll have to remember confidence is a feeling. It's not it's not a science here, but the feeling of that people had after retirement wasn't much difference. But if we go before retirement, then people who were taking advice were more confident. 
So there was definitely a benefit in confidence levels in that pre-retirement phase. And also, if we looked at investment, mm. people who were taking advice were more confident about taking risks. Still, investment was a funny bit. It was generally low across all cohorts, but where people were taking advice, it was slightly more confident. Yeah, that, uh, that was really striking how acutely low people's confidence around making investment decision and risk, risk-taking was and their ability to spot long-term investment opportunities. I mean, those numbers were really low relative to some of the other schools. They were very low, yeah. So... And to be honest, the reality is a lot of people don't know that much about investing. And, you know, quite often we think pensions is complex and has got lots of three-letter acronyms and complexity, but investment world can be even more so for people who don't know much about it. Investments can be quite difficult. So, you know, the reality is many people probably should be unsure about investing. And, you know, there can maybe be a strength in acknowledging what you can't do, but the key is again seeking out someone, a professional that can do that for you, that can work with you. And the reality for people who are not taking advice in that is they're pretty much looking towards cash or very low risk investments. Mm. And we know certainly in times of you know fairly high inflation, which we've got at the moment, is being very exposed to the impact of inflation. You know, it's great, I can get four percent on my cash. Lovely, but you know, if, if inflation is running at eight, that's not necessarily a great outcome. But that's not a risk that people necessarily see or understand. Absolutely. So, and that's theme with the theme of overconfidence. I mean, you you alluded to it briefly earlier on. Quite a big difference between men and women in terms of levels of confidence, and this perhaps comes back again, perhaps to to misplaced confidence in some cases and underconfidence in other areas. But there was quite a difference between men and women in their levels of confidence around retirement planning, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, there can be lots of reasons for that. So so we know there's a gender gap in pensions. That's largely driven by a gender gap in pay. And, you know, so, so women over their lifetime, many women will get paid less than men. They're more likely to have career gaps than men, and therefore they're more likely to have smaller pension pots than men. So, so there can be a reason for them perhaps being less confident. I think at risk of, of upsetting lots of people, I think there is no, a, a gender stereotype going on there. I think men perhaps are just generally more confident about things or can be, and that can be misplaced. So whether that's you know, real confidence, I think, uh, and whether that can hold up to scrutiny, that perhaps is just one difference that exists. But again, if we go back to advice, the beauty of advice is, is looking at a couple, a partners, and, and looking at joint wealth and figuring out how that can be best used for both people. And, and that's the key is we don't want individuals making decisions which will count, you know, run badly for their partner. And, you know, we used to go back, and, and this is many years ago, but if we go back annuities many years ago, you know, there was, there was a big drive towards single, well, not a big drive, but there was a big bunch of people who bought single life annuities, wasn't there? And, and that was great because that gave that individual the highest income. The problem being is that predominantly that was men and predominantly they would be outlived by their partner. And that meant there was no income left for the partner should, should that individual die. So, you know, advisors will very much help people look across a couple and look at joint wealth and focus in on that. Yeah, absolutely. So Nucleus have done this research now. For me, some of the things we've talked about, it 
it almost posed as many questions as it produced answers. So lots of intriguing stuff to dig into there in terms it of... It does. The, and I think what, one other point just, yeah, go on. just on advice when we're talking about advice is... I think it was quite important there. It wasn't all about money. So, so advice was, you know, what we heard was, you know, increased emotional well-being, you know, having a clear sense of where they were and where they were going. So, which comes back to the planning bit, doesn't it? But so, advice is wider than just product and investment. That planning and advice piece is is all about helping people have greater confidence, but you know, feeling better about what plans they have in place. Yeah, and I think we shouldn't underestimate the value of just being able to sleep at night because you you found out what you didn't know and someone's answered those questions for you and given you a plan. It's really important. So you're going to do this again. This is going to become recurring research, right? And you're going to dig into some of this stuff again in the future, yeah? Yes. So we're going to do it each year and then we can track it ongoing and we can see the impact of, of things like the decline of DB, cost of living as it tracks through and we can see where people's confidence goes in the future as you know we said at the beginning we've put a negative outlook on this we think it's going to go down but you know we have to rerun it and we have to see where that goes to next year and in five years time and so on and we, and we can continue to track it through and i think that's a hugely interesting thing i'm quite a big fan of these things if you can track things year on year on year it does start to give you patterns and really valuable insight into what people are thinking and where they're going. Good stuff. All right, well, I look forward to future iterations. Andy, thanks very much. Thank you, Tom. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.